0: I have a friend uh, at the moment, just at the moment, who's in, uh, he would say, probably an interesting time in his work life. And it particularly has to do with uh, his relationship with colleagues and particularly his boss. And and the message that my friend receives in conversation, often uh, in the work environment, is that it's not quite working. It's not quite sort of fitting that his contribution isn't being appreciated. There's not clicking. And often that has, or recently that has occasioned some difficult conversations in which my friend has put down the phone and felt that thing that we've all felt. That sort of tenor, that tone of condemnation. You ever been in a conversation with somebody and you, you put down the phone or you leave the room, you shut the door, you drive away and your heart just sinks and you just sort of, you think to yourself, no, woe is me. You, you sort of, you're stuck or you feel stuck in that moment of condemnation. We all feel that at different times. We feel that from outside. That message of condemnation, it's not just, it's not just around us, but we're swimming in it. If you look at our culture, sometimes social media is a great good in so many different ways, I always need to preface what I'm saying uh, by that. But one of the things that social media has enabled us to do is to criticize each other really effectively without actually standing before each other. It's like it's lowered the, the threshold of condemnation. So you see this, somebody runs for public office and you know. Within moments, there's going to be a tweet dredged up from 10 years previously. You know, some kind of indiscreet moment or something taken out of context, a quote. It's going to go viral and that person's contribution will be ended because of this feeling of condemnation. But condemnation isn't something that just exists in our culture, sort of outside of us. As human beings, we all experience condemnation, not just externally, but internally. Who's come across the phrase, the inner critic? Has anybody heard of the inner critic? Have you ever met your inner critic? I'm, I will not say I'm friends with mine, but I'm familiar with him. Wikipedia says, The inner critic, or critical inner voice, is a concept used in popular psychology. And psychotherapy to refer to a sub-personality that judges and demeans a person. The inner critic is usually experienced as an inner voice attacking a person, saying that he or she is bad, wrong, inadequate, worthless, guilty, and so on. The inner critic often produces feelings of shame, deficiency, low self-esteem, and depression. It may also cause self-doubt and undermine self-confidence. It's common for people to have a harsh inner critic that is debilitating. Even as I was reading those phrases there, what uh, what became obvious to me was that these are some of the things that people would say of us as a society now. That we are full of shame, that we are debilitated, that we're anxious, that we feel feelings of inadequacy and worthless. We all, I think, to some degree, experience that stuff. And I guess what I'm trying to say is that that that's the sort of environment, that's the water we're swimming in. But it doesn't stay out there, it's got in here for each of us. This is, to some degree, the human condition. The question I want to ask tonight is Does it have to be this way? We've been in a series in the last few weeks looking out of Pentecost, looking at the person of the Holy Spirit, who he is, what he's like. And for the next four weeks, we really want to ask the question What difference does he make? What would it look like to live life in the spirit? Not to be floating around, if you like, in an environment of condemnation, but to be swimming. In an ocean of the Holy Spirit. What difference would that make to a human life? What difference might that make to this specific question, this mindset of condemnation? And we've said that the Bible says that the Holy Spirit not just is the environment in which we're to swim, but the Holy Spirit in fact comes to live within us. And we've said that because we believe that because the Bible says it, but we also believe it because it is our lived experience. We experience, and we're to expect to experience the Holy Spirit in our lives. What difference would an experience of the Holy Spirit make to this question? This, I think, is the question that the Apostle Paul is asking in Romans 8. And he says this, and open your Bibles if you'd like to. It's probably going to be on the screens as well, but this is what we read. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Let me just repeat that. Could do a bit better with my intonation. Therefore, there is therefore now no condemnation. But maybe when Paul was writing this or in fact dictating it, he did even better than that. Therefore, there is now. Oh, Silas, get this down. Get this one down. This is good. There is therefore now no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus. And he's off his chair. Oh, and he's feeling good. There is therefore now no condemnation. These words, church, these simple words are dynamite. They are spiritual dynamite. If only we as the church could grasp hold of them. Oh, but they're slippery. Slippery words. What is Paul saying? There is therefore now no condemnation. The word condemnation means, uh, in, in the original language of Greek in which this is written. Paul is dictating kata krema. And surprisingly enough it means condemnation. But it's a composite of two words. Kata against krema. Coming from krino to judge. It's judgment. A Condemnation is a judgment against. The inner critic judges against us when we hear his or her voice in our minds. Condemnation is a judgment against. Paul is saying there is no longer any judgment against you. Because of Christ Jesus. We'll get to that bit in a minute. And I'd love to say that I've lived a Christian life out of Romans 8.1 that I've just walked Romans 8, 1 all over the place, that I wake up in the morning, the first thing I think when I think about my day and what I'm going to do and what I did yesterday is, oh, yesterday I lived a no condemnation day. And today I'm excited about more no condemnation. But that's not my experience. And for a lot of us who are in the church, it's not our experience either. Many of us feel like our Christian, you know, it's, it's as if we think the Christian life works like this. We, we, we get in because God does this amazing thing for us in Jesus. We get in and we're forgiven and free and we're washed clean and it's amazing and we feel in the early days just this unbelievable liberty in our relationship with God and then we start to, oh, you know, like the euphoria wears off and we start to do stupid stuff. You know, we start to mess up and we fall short of our own standards and God's standards and all this stuff. And and we feel a bit dirty and we sort of begin to hear that voice of condemnation again. And then we come before God and we have another powerful encounter with God. And we're forgiven again and all is right with the world. And we're restored until we do something wrong again. And it's a bit like, imagine it, like walking around a revolving door at one of those posh hotels down in that there London and you walk in and you're like, oh, I'm here. And there's the porter with his top hat. And you're like, I belong here. This is fantastic. This is the life of no condemnation. And then all of a sudden you back out. You've spat you out the door again. And you're out in the world. And there's dog poo on the floor. And you skip over it. And you're like, oh, no, I'm, I've been forgiven. I'm back in the Ritz. And it's just this revolving door. Many of us live our Christian lives like that. There's no permanence. To an experience of God's affection for us. It's conditional. But that's not the vision of discipleship we see in the Bible. That's not what Paul's saying. He says, therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now. In other words, this is a verdict that you can bank on Now. Now. And in the original language, the word now means now. It doesn't mean some long... I haven't researched that. I'm just confident of it. (laughs) There is now no condemnation. Many of us live as if... Many of us live as if that begins then. Okay, I know that God's going to make everything right and somebody's going to fix this mess. (laughs) And then there'll be no condemnation. But I said, no, 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 Paul's saying none of this, therefore now, no condemnation. For those who are in Christ Jesus, just to imagine this, you know, let's do a thought experiment, shut your eyes if you like to, gaze through the lantern, see the trees and imagine waking up tomorrow and all you think about when you look at yourself. And therefore, all you think about when you look at the person closest to you, when you look at your neighbor, when you look at your colleague, when you look at your enemy, is no condemnation. What does Jesus say? There's no one left to condemn you, neither do I condemn you. Imagine what it would feel like tomorrow to know that God was for you all day every day that you could walk through life free of thoughts which attack you that you didn't need to to expend your energy anymore in justifying yourself in defending yourself because God was for you this is the vision of life with Jesus that the Bible displays this can be Our reality. This is what God is promising to his people. And it's available to all, to use Paul's language, who are in Christ Jesus. That's Paul's. He often uses this phrase. What I love about this phrase is how powerful and evocative it is. You know, he could say, uh, there's now therefore no condemnation for all those who are doing their best to follow Jesus. For all those who are on the wagon right now of Jesus. But if he said something like that, then it would be possible, wouldn't it, to sort of... It would be conditional. If we fell off the Jesus wagon, then maybe this wouldn't be true of us. But what he says is, no, those who are in Christ Jesus, that is those who are located in the life of Jesus. It's more like a picture of a, a mother holding a baby within her womb. It's like that intimate. Paul's saying, actually, you know, if you're in Jesus, if you belong to Jesus, you're encased within, you're incorporated into Jesus, this is true of you. It's not to do with your performance, it's just to do with where you're at, it's to do with your location. And you can be included in Jesus by faith. That's been the argument Paul's been making all the way through Romans up to this point. By faith. By faith. You, by faith, what is said of Jesus becomes true of you. So by faith, you receive an identity which is his. No longer are are you a servant or a slave in the kingdom, but you become a son or a daughter. That's now your identity because you're hidden in him. Your future destiny is his. No longer are you fearful of insecurity about the future. No, you can be sure that you will be accepted because you are in him. And your present status, this is what we're getting at tonight. Your present status is also received from him. You are in him. He's not condemned. And therefore you can fear no condemnation. All very nice. Makes for a, a great preach. but The question I guess is... How has this come into effect? Why? What's the logical basis? What's the foundation for this? How do you know that I'm not just peddling you self-help? What's the objective foundation for this? Paul goes on and he says this. Verse 3. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Now here's where it gets a little bit technical. If you stick with me, I'll explain the key phrases. The first one is the law. Now for the Jewish people, the law was, it was a gift given to them. You know, they were uh, released from this period, 400 plus years of slavery, and they'd forgotten how to be free. They didn't know. They'd never really been free as a nation. And so God sets them free in this most profound deliverance called the Exodus, Moses goes in and takes them out. But the point is they don't know how to live. So God has to help them live. He gives them a law which is a gift to them. And this law is intended to be a code by which they can live free lives. But because they're just not capable, they don't have the capacity to follow this code, this this gift to them becomes a burden. They feel through it condemned. Condemned because of their weakness this gift which was meant to bring them life instead becomes a source of death and disappointment why do they fail so badly to follow this law the law well they fail for two reasons the first of all uh, the first of them is given by paul here he talks about they were weakened by the flesh Verse 3. Now, the flesh for Paul, he's not talking about this stuff that sits on your skeleton and sometimes is a little bit hairy. He's talking about uh, humanity. He's talking about weakened humanity. He's talking about the finite, limited capacity we have to do almost anything. Now, we as humans are incredible. Just think about this we sent somebody to the moon and they landed there and sort of had a jaunt about. You know, outside of gravity. (laughs) Just like that. Get this. And then they came back. How ridiculous is that? It's extraordinary. We're amazing. Who even thought that that was like an option? Who was like just looking out and saying, I think one day actually we could, at the moon, let's smash that. We're working on Mars at the moment. Ridiculous. We're incredible. We're also extraordinarily weak. How many of you have said, this week, this year, new year, new me, <laughs> new diet, <laughs> and by midday, you're like, diet, Schmeyer? It's not, it's not good for you anyway, is it, all this fasting nonsense? And chocolate, God made it, it's a gift, let's enjoy it. We've all done it, haven't we? What about something a little bit more serious, how many of you have got a habit, that's destructive, even more deeply destructive, that you're trying to kick and you just can't help yourself. How many of us struggle to honour people who aren't in the room with us? How many of us gossip about even the people we love? You know, that's just toxic to us, and we do it, and it's like the scab, isn't it? That you're just like, I shouldn't, I shouldn't. Oh, it feels so good. Ouch! <laughs> you know, that's, that we're weak, we do stuff we shouldn't do. And Paul's saying the problem with following the law is that we're just weak. The other problem we have is sin. Paul introduces this idea of sin. The law of sin and death. Sin in the Bible, sometimes it's explained as a set of actions which uh, are in themselves falling are falling short of God's standard. But often, and I think most significantly, is presented as a Power. A power that opposes all of God's good plans for his world. A power that oppresses and sometimes overtakes us. So you've got a dirty secret. You've got habit and you just want to clean it up. And you begin to attend a a meeting or you begin to share it with your accountability group, your few or whatever it is. You begin to pray about it. And you just find your best efforts are railroaded. It's not that you're fighting a fair battle. There is a power oppressing you. There is a power against you. You cannot kick whatever it is you're trying to kick. That power oppressing you, that weight behind against you is sin. That's the problem we have following the law. That's the problem we have. That's why we feel condemnation. Because the flesh is weak and sin is powerful. And that leads us to a dark place. And that dark place is defined and described by guilt on the one hand, which says, I've done wrong. And I think we experience as a society far less guilt than previous generations because we actually don't really have a strong sense anymore of coherent moral law. In fact, what we say is, well, this is my truth. I'll live by that. You tell me yours. You go do you. As long as it's not here's our one law hurting anyone. And who defines what hurts anyone? Then we're okay. So we don't experience guilt in the same way, but we do experience shame. And shame doesn't say I've done wrong. Shame says I am wrong. We definitely feel this. We definitely feel shame. So we need some help. We need to be freed from the law of sin and death. If we're going to experience the life which is a life of no condemnation, we need to be rescued. And that's the point Paul's making. So how do we actually get rescued? Here's what Paul says. How do we get free of this trap? Verse 3, for what the law was powerless to do. In other words, it made it worse because it was weakened by sin in the flesh. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh. Just get this, as Bo was reading it, this just stood out to me. God did. What the law was powerless to do, God did. God did. We need rescue, and God does the work, and he does it in the most novel way imaginable. In fact, it's so novel, it was not imaginable at all. He comes in the flesh, in the likeness of sinful flesh, to be a sin offering. What Paul is saying is that what God is going to do here is to become human. He's going to become part of the broken system. He's going to take on flesh. He's going to eat. He's going to sleep and repeat and he's going to do that for 30 years. He's going to live a human life in every way human, imaginable. Even he's going to die a human death, though it is a different death, I grant you that. But he's going to do the human thing. And he's going to experience what it's like to be oppressed by the power and the weight of sin. And he's going to experience to some degree what it means to be weakened in the flesh. He's going to hunger. He's going to thirst. He's going to experience betrayal and wounding. And he is going to experience the fullness of temptation. However, he's going to be unlike us in one significant respect. He's not going to bow the knee to the power of sin. He's not going to fall under its weight. That's God's solution, but not just to end there, but it says, this one, this one who sent into the world will be for us a sin offering. And again, we have to go back to the Old Testament to understand this. Stick with me for a second longer. What God's people will do in the Old Testament to experience and secure freedom from sin would, would be to offer a blemish-free, perfect animal. And that animal would become a substitute for them. The sin that... Belong to that person, the axe and the weight oppressing that person would be placed onto the animal and an exchange would be made. And the blemish free animal took on the sin of the person and the person received the status of the blemish free animal. This beautiful exchange, messy exchange. In a very real sense, Paul is saying that is what Jesus has done. He became a sin offering. We, we did this sleight of hand thing, but not with a, uh, an animal, but with the Son of God who was totally blemish free, who experienced the fullness of human life, but did not sin. That is what happened. This substitution took place. And he received what was owed to us and what was owed to us with condemnation. And we received what was owed to him, and what was owed to him was a declaration that he was in the right with God, that he belonged, that he was affirmed, accepted, and that he was indeed a son of the Father. To put it another way, Jesus dies under the weight of sin, that you and I might be freed from the weight and the power of sin. It's hot in here. This is, this is right at the heart of the... This no condemnation thing, it, it leans, it rests on the very beating heart of the gospel. And if you don't experience this tonight as good news, ask the Holy Spirit, show me, show me. Show me this is good news. Came across a Japanese martial art, which makes me sound kind of niche and clever. I, I'm really not called Aikido. Has anybody, anybody been to an Aikido class? One person knew what it was this morning. Good old Phil, he's not here. So no, that's fine, good old. Aikido is a Japanese art of self-defense. Here's how it works. Gifts! We've got gifts. Right, we are that church. I'm only 10 years behind gifts. So the, the point about Aikido is that it's a self-defense art in which you use your opponent's momentum against them. It's as if Satan sees this moment where God himself becomes flesh and launches the full-scale attack. Launches the whole, empties hell upon Jesus. And Jesus, using Satan's own momentum against him, takes him down into the grave and rises the other side. And Satan is flawed and sin is left in the grave. And on the other side, there is a declaration over Jesus, but over every single person Righteous, And a power is, is liberated, is set loose in the world. The power of righteousness, which has overcome, objectively, in the past, the weight of sin. Sin is beaten in that moment, which, by the way, that's in the tomb of Jesus. In that moment, sin was overcome. And therefore, you and I can live not just in some kind of abstract mind frame, mindset of condemnation, of no condemnation. We can actually experience what it's like to have no condemnation in our lives today. How does that happen? That is the question Paul's actually addressing here. How do we actually live as if this this is true? And his answer is really simple. His answer is one thing, and that thing is not a thing, it's a person, the Holy Spirit. God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemns in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. In order that we could actually live in the way that God intends us to do so. Who live, who do not live according to the flesh. In other words, who do not rely on our own human limited strength to get through the day. But who rely on the spirit. We're supposed to lean on the spirit. The spirit of God is the one who is given to us to enable us to obey God. The spirit of God is the one who testifies with our spirits. Who speaks a truer word than the voice of the inner critic. Who says we're nothing and no one and will never amount to anything. And the spirit says, yeah, I've got a better thing to say than that. You are someone. You are someone who belongs to the father. You are a child of God. You are forgiven and freed and you are going to be restored. You wait. The Spirit of God says to the inner critic, you wait to see what glory will be revealed in that one. There is a better voice, there is a better word than condemnation. It's the voice of no condemnation. It is the word that the Holy Spirit speaks. And the Holy Spirit wants to speak this word into your head this week. Like a worm in your ear, bothering you with your approval before God, with God's affection for you, God's empowering presence, not just floating around you, but get this, when you start to live as if this is true, which the Holy Spirit wants to actually empower you to do, when you start to live this is true, it's going to change the atmosphere around you. <clears throat> We have, a, we have a dream and a vision to, change, to be part of God's plan to change this city. How are we going to do it? We're going to walk out after this, and we're going to live lives which look like somebody would live if they weren't living under condemnation. And that's going to become so compelling and so attractive that people are going to gather around it, and they're going to ask, what is your secret? And we're going to say, Phew. well, I came to the end of myself. I would tried the flesh thing. I tried my own capacity I'd I'd read every self-help book there was all of it didn't work so I thought I'd sort of go with the Holy Spirit thing and I tell you what it's made all the difference he's made all the difference the Holy Spirit makes all the difference church What verdict are you living under tonight? You're sitting here saying, I I, I love the sound of this. It would have been great if it could have been 10 minutes shorter. but I love the sound of this. But I don't live this. Tonight, ask the Holy Spirit. Have somebody pray with you. We're going to pray. You experience a a shift, that you experience God's verdict spoken over you. Are you living under the verdict of your boss, your spouse, your parent, your inner critic? There is a better word. Heaven is speaking the word. No condemnation over each one of us tonight. This is the authentic voice of God. This is the verdict over everyone's life. This is the truest thing about each of us. And this is what God brought you here to hear tonight. That there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Why don't we stand? We're going to pray.